Uh, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Special welcome to you if you're new. Good to see you again if you're not. Uh, would you like to stand and we'll worship and we'll start everything off with prayer. Father, we come to you in the name of your Son by the power of your Spirit. And in this confession, we know that we are here with you, for you, because of you. May you get all the glory, and may every drop of what we're trying to seek by coming here be found in Christ today. May you sanctify your word within us. better place, and you come and meet us where we are. Thank you. What else do we have to say but thank you? You accomplish all things. May our hearts be put in a position to see you rightly by your grace, and it's for your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Jesus is in the name of Jesus. 
guys. Glad to see everyone. I'd like to welcome you all this morning. Um, as we gather, uh, it, uh, it's good to see things start to shape up, but um, I want to just remind you, our kids are, are free to go to uh, be with um, uh, Matt and, um, and, and our youth leaders. And uh, for the rest of you, uh, you can stay put. So I don't know who's going to have more fun, but we'll try to make it as interesting as we can. And um, I'm guessing that the Lord will try to make it even more interesting as we gather in his name. Uh, but a few things I want to uh, mention before we start into the message time. And that is a uh, couple of announcements as um, things are starting to kind of uh, ramp up. Uh, we've been doing some planning for the month of August. And it's been pretty cool to see uh, people start to... Um, just converge and plan, and then we're looking forward to people to gathering. I mean, I'm, I'm just having withdrawals, to be honest with you, from not being around our people. Um, so uh, I want to mention, first of all, uh, there is an events committee that's going to be meeting on August 8th, uh, following the worship service, to continue this planning process. Uh, and we do have several things underway, uh, but one in particular that we look forward to is our fall festival. Uh, so if you want to be a volunteer in that realm, uh, just uh, uh, um, see uh, Rachel Yokely, who I'm going to invite up here in just a second uh, to talk about that. Uh, secondly, there's a pool party. Anybody who has swim trunks, swimming costume, swimming outfit, bikini, uh, no Speedos. Okay, we're going to put them moratorium on that uh but if you want to come and join us from seven to nine um we've uh we we've um basically commandeered the pool from uh the parks department and uh we just want to use that as an event and bring a friend if you can make it and then uh thirdly uh our kids and student ministry uh is getting ready to do a bash on the 22nd uh from four to seven out here um, hopefully, uh, we'll have a lot of cool things happening, like uh, inflatables and just a lot of stuff that I think uh, kids will really enjoy. Uh, so just kind of kicking it off here. Um, I know, Rachel, you asked if you could have a few words, so come on up. Just a few words, Rachel, and no more. Okay. equipment is now broke. Turn it on. Okay. They were monitored up there. They didn't want to turn it on. Okay. Okay. Now we're ready to go. Well, as we have been studying Luke and diving into this new adventure with the Lord, we have been working on our foundation and how we are building our relationship with Christ. I find this time a wonderful way to grow spiritually and grow my roots with God and our congregation as well as our community. Service is a very important part of the walk with Christ, and it's where life meets the needs of others in a very special way. 
We have been practicing events, planning, organizing, and executing these events for the last year or so. I say practicing because for myself, there has been something lacking. The close relationship with Christ, the solid foundation in which this is all built, I asked myself what our purpose was, what the intent was, who was, I, who was I asking to come, and I'm taking this time to evaluate where and what our mission is. In doing so, I've been praying, asking for questions, and building with the help of the Holy Spirit. As I pray, you have all been diving into the Sleuth study and allowing these scriptures to guide you as well into spiritually given talents that God has been calling for you to do in our kingdom. Hopefully we can see a little more clearly the future of our walk with this congregation and the close relationship that Christ gives us daily through the Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit strengthens us, guides us, gives us the motivation to lead and take this next step in connecting with others, staying united and focused is the most important as we are called to grow together in the unity of Christ. The event committee plans a new planning year. You ask yourself, what is a planning committee and what do we do? Well, let me explain briefly. This committee meets twice a month for a calendar year. We plan different events for FCC to help people connect here. We volunteer for the day of the event, we execute the project, then we evaluate each program to see if it met our criteria. The group has fun, is supportive, and shows a loving heart towards one another. God is looking for those of you that the Holy Spirit has been nudging to begin with connections to others in a very loving way. We will be meeting, like we said, next Sunday after service. I'm looking for those of you that God has been leading to do this, and I hope to see you there next Sunday. Thank you. Can we say it's a miracle? You stayed on script? Wow. Man, a lot's changed in the last several months, uh, and that being one of them right there. Uh, but uh, a lot has changed, I think, around uh, the culture that we're living in, but I also believe within our church, we've made this intentional focus on the book of Luke, and we've asked the question, how is it that the story of Jesus, as Luke explains it, begins to be a space that you and I inhabit as well so that we're following along with the disciples uh, into um, the road ahead. Uh, I don't know about you, but as unstable and as uncertain and as um, fraught with anxiety and fear and dangers that the world seems to be uh, portraying in, in our everyday experience, the people that have taken the name of Jesus and have begun to center their lives around him have found, I think, a peace that passes all understanding. They found a resource through the one who is king of kings and lord of lords and sovereign over all. And they've been able to go through whatever is happening in the world around us with a degree of trust that God is in control and that he will help us through this. And I honestly believe that God has allowed these things to happen. I don't think he's caused them, but I think he's allowed these things to happen so that people like you and I can ask the question, do we trust God no matter what? And Luke is showing us how to do that. And as we get into uh, the study today, 
Um, I want to I do what Luke tells us to do, and I want to I pray as we see Jesus pray, and I want to ask the Holy Spirit to work in each of our hearts, and um, then I want to pray together the Lord's Prayer so that we can um, align our hearts and our values with what the Lord values and what he wants us to trust. So you guys got all that? No? Yeah? Maybe? Hopefully, as we go on, it'll become second nature. So um, uh, another thing that we want to do uh, for the sake of uh, just the ground level experience of all of us uh, and, and you guys online as well is just ask if there's any burdens, any prayer concerns, anything that you have today that we can be praying about as a church. Anyone have anything? Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Is Alan? So your daughter, uh, Diane Rude's daughter, Julie's husband, Alan, has stage four prostate cancer. So pray for Alan. Diane? Okay, so we need to pray for uh, Gail, um, who has a stage four breast cancer. Um, so uh, many of you probably know Gail, and just pray that you keep her lifted up and encourage her however you can. Uh, anyone else? Okay. Well, I feel like an auctioneer going, <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. Virginia Bond is here with us today. First time in quite a long time. You don't drive anymore. That means you don't race cars anymore. Ah, uh, yeah. So glad that your daughter could be with us today, all the way from the other side of the continent. So, um, what a blessing. Anything? Yeah, Lydia. Oh, that is so good. Yeah, we, we've been alongside you uh, in our prayers uh, for her, and uh, that is a huge, huge uh, sigh of relief. I'm sure you guys are, um, are, are breathing right now. So how cool. Thanks for the update. Um, want to be praying for uh, some of you. Uh, we have a, a former a, a member, uh, Betty uh, Devan, who passed away uh, recently, so I want to pray for her family as well. And um, I don't know if they're going to be embarrassed if I mention it or not, but um, uh, we have um, a couple of uh, people in the back pew in the very back corner celebrating uh, their 40th anniversary. Mark and Brenda, so congratulations on that. And uh, with that, I'm just going to take this before the Lord, okay? Father, with uh, all of these things that we have brought into this room, uh, some of it is pretty heavy as we think about friends and family that are going through uh, struggles with cancer. We just pray for Alan and we pray for Gail. We pray that your healing touch would be upon both of them and that you would just surround them with your grace and mercy and people that 
can give them the care that they need in this, in this season in their lives. We thank you, Father, for uh, being with Lydia's granddaughter and just for the wonderful report after so long uh, waiting and worrying and wandering. Uh, we give you praise for helping this young life to thrive and to unfold the potential that you bundled into her, into her, um, into her, her young life. We pray, Father, for um, uh, just your help to be with uh, all of the things that haven't been mentioned in this, in this gathering, um, especially with uh, the Devan family and their season of grief that they're going through. We ask, Father, that as a church, when we think about um, <clears throat> not just <clears throat> receiving the content of the word as we've done so, gathering for worship, but we've also done that online, but how you want that to, to move into experiencing you and your grace through serving, through fellowship, through being a part of community with one another. I pray, Father, that you would just activate your church in that way, even as uncertainties rage around us and, and, and there are fears that are, are constantly being provoked. Just help us to be wise and discerning um, and to um, not, not lose hope to trust that as you're working in us and through us, that this is a moment where we as a body can serve uh, the lives of the people around us, the people in our community. We pray for the events that we have coming up that are designed to just bring people into this community so that we can together uh, see together that vision of who you are for our lives. I pray, Father, that as we get into your word, that you would anoint it with your spirit, enable it, Father, to speak to each heart in this room. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would just be with us as a people, that you would be with me as a messenger, that the words that I say would be um, uh, uh, empowered by your presence and the fidelity that hopefully they have with uh, your purposes will uh, we'll be of such a nature that we can hear your voice. Help us to listen to what you're saying to us today. Give us a heart and a mind that is after you and the things that you value. And help us to begin that this morning by praying together the Lord's Prayer. Would you pray with me now? Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right, well, let's, let's, uh, let's get to work. So if you have your Bibles with you or if you want to just look on the screen, we're going to be taking uh, a glance at the book of Luke chapter 9, and we're going to explore uh, one of the most dramatic things that happened in the storyline, uh, and, and certainly up until the resurrection of Christ, probably uh, the pinnacle moment. And that is when heaven as a reality intersected with earth as a reality. And it's like you had two circles that exist separately, but all of a sudden in this moment they overlap like that. 
And I want to explore that space today with you as we read this text and as we think about what that means for us and what we're supposed to do in response. So here we go. Now, about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, that is the word exodus, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. As he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud, and it, saying, and it said, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything of what they had seen. Now, as we're reading this story, maybe you've read it before, and we discover some things in here that maybe as you've read this fantastic vision of Jesus and Moses and Elijah gathering together in a cloud, and then all of a sudden, you know, the disciples are completely overwhelmed, and they really don't know how to process what's happening in front of them. And then there's a word that shows up called listen. And I just want to take that idea of listening for a second and explore it. The first time that I remember my mother saying to me, listen, and I didn't listen. We were in the pool together, interestingly enough, and I was taking swim lessons. And she was on the side, and the problem was I had a little bit of ADHD, so I wasn't paying attention very well to what I was being instructed in. And my mom must have had some kind of fear that somewhere, somehow down the road, if I don't learn how to swim, I'm not going to make it if I land in the water. And so she was adamant that I got swim lessons. And I remember her pulling me aside in front of all of the other students and in front of the instructor and saying, as she took my shoulders and put me right in front of her and looked in my eyes and said, listen. And as I was looking in her eyes, I'm thinking, wonder what I'm going to do after I get done playing here. And so she said to me again, because she saw it, she said, listen. And eventually I'm like, oh, I need to, I need to kind of get into the moment here. And I don't know what she did. I don't know if it was a Jedi mind trick or what, but somehow for the rest of the time, I was just completely and totally on board. Now, as a result of that, I can swim. I can float. I can dog paddle. I can breaststroke. I can do a lot of things. Just can't do them very gracefully. But push comes to shove, if I get 
if my wife and I are on a cruise and uh, she decides uh, time to kick me over, I can swim back to shore. Now, I don't know exactly what eventuality I'll need that for, but I do know this. There was something about the importance of the moment that I didn't calibrate the significance of. And my mom wanted to make sure that I got it. And as a pastor, I've, I've actually been a part of a couple of situations where people have drowned. And it just brought it home that much more for me. And I realized that my mom was actually explaining something to me in a moment when I was in a headspace where I, I just couldn't get it. But it was so vital that I got it, she, she made that extra effort. And essentially what Jesus is doing here is he's expanding on what he's been telling these guys, according to Luke, for nine chapters. Listen, listen, listen. Matter of fact, the most quoted text from the Old Testament um, is Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah is told he's going to go and speak, but nobody's going to listen. And so this obviously is a problem that Jesus has to overcome with the people that are following him. And you know what his primary concern is? Is that not only will we not listen and make sense of what he's doing, but we'll begin to run very quickly with the kingdom message, but, we're gonna, but we'll do it our way and not his way. And he starts to unfold what his way is in this set of conversations that we're looking at in Luke 9. And one of the things that he just said last week was, the Son of Man is going to be crucified and then he's going to be raised on the third day. And then he said a few other things. And I think when he said that, it must have been like listening to Charlie Brown's teacher because I'm not sure anybody even caught it. And now he wants to explain to them a little further, the Son of Man, that is me, I'm going to be crucified, and I'm going to be raised on the third day. And this is just information that they don't have the ability to process. And Jesus is making sure that they get it. Now, I don't, wanna, I don't necessarily want to look at a show of hands, but I'm guessing there's a more than a few people in here that have had some kind of experience, be it religious or otherwise, or maybe you've seen a UFO, maybe you've seen Bigfoot, I don't know, but it's something that you've said that does not have a category for my everyday experience. And there are some people that have said, you know, I don't really want to talk about it because I I just think people will think I'm crazy. And so they sort of keep it inside, but it's a defining moment where after experiencing that, they just never look at life quite the same. And in the Bible, we see events happen, not very often, but events happen where heaven invades our earthly experience and the people that are there are changed in such a way that their lives are never the same again. And one of those is Moses, whenever he's up on the mountain and God shows up 
and he calls him. And Moses had a lot of things on his heart, and one of them wasn't leading a million six people out of Egypt, up through the Sinai Peninsula, and into the Promised Land. I can assure you, he was not considering that as an option at that point in his career. But God said, no, that's what you're going to do. And you're never going to forget it because you have, in a sense, inhabited a moment where everything about your world and what you understand has been completely upended as God spoke to him from that burning bush. And Moses went on as a changed man to redefine the history of God's people through the Exodus. And Jesus, again, is trying to use an image here for his disciples who know it well that the Exodus was an Old Testament event that said to all the people that came after them, this was the time when God defeated Pharaoh, had the ten plagues that completely humiliated the gods of the Egyptians, and then parted the water so that the people could cross onto dry land, while at the same time when Pharaoh's army was going through that same wall of water that was a pathway, were completely engulfed by the water when God said it's time for God's people to move onto the land and Pharaoh's people to be utterly humiliated. They never forgot it, and it defined their existence in such a way that they still celebrate it today. And so when Jesus is with his disciples, he wants them to get it, and he wants you to get it, and he wants me to get it. But sometimes, if you try to explain something, you don't quite get it. Have you ever had a computer problem and you called an expert on the phone and said, can you just tell me how to do this? And you get some tech guy who's really like kind of on the spectrum, like really focused on the ins and outs of programming, and you're like, I think I'll just find a 12-year-old and just ask them. That, in a sense, is how we process information a lot of times. It, it doesn't make a lot of sense. So Jesus said the only way to learn is to do. And he pulls these 12 alongside him. They begin to do, or he, he begins to show them what to do. And it's in this instant, in this part of the telling of the story, that he starts to connect them to the work. So the first thing that he says is it's time to pray because something's coming up and you never do anything important without praying and I would say never do anything at all without praying and so he takes the disciples up and they are on this mountain probably Mount Tabor and they're praying and as, as, they're, as they're talking to the Lord Jesus is showing them what that conversation looks like so that they on their own when the time comes can do exactly what they see him doing they're being apprenticed. And as that process is unfolding in their lives, they're, they're learning a vital thing. In order to have the habits of Jesus become their own, they have to pray. You guys remember the power habits? Remember we did that study? Nobody? Okay. There are more booklets available in the, um, uh, in the studio next door. Maybe you need to reread them again. Because there were five of them that we talked about, and they are a primer for what we're doing here. And one of the things that Jesus did so well and so importantly was that he took time to pray 
before he did anything significant. And if you haven't read The Power Habits, it's free. It's a, just a booklet. It's a devotional booklet. I would encourage you to get it uh, because it helps you to know what's important in the mind of Jesus for your life. Now, Jesus is showing the disciples how to pray, what to pray, and he's praying with them, according to the text. And then after that prayer, something happens. And that is, things start to change. There is a cloud that begins to envelop them, and people start to show up who weren't there before. People that actually are recognizable to a degree that everyone knew in that moment, for however they knew it, that it was Moses and Elijah. And I just want to do a sidebar here for a minute because I've done a lot of funerals since I've been here. And one of the questions that comes up repeatedly is, will I know my loved ones in heaven? And I don't know where it started in the church or in the teaching of the church, but there's a lot of confusion about knowing loved ones after they depart, when we see them in heaven. And there's a lot of fear embedded in those questions. And I want to assure them that they will, without any degree of uncertainty, know their loved ones. You will know your loved ones. And the way that I know this is, fast-forwarding to the end of the story, Jesus has died and now he's been resurrected from the grave by the Father, and he appears to the disciples. At first, they didn't know him, and then all of a sudden, their eyes were open, and then they knew that was him. And it wasn't some sort of ambiguous, amorphous, undefined un, uh, presence. It was clearly him. And when we look at these guys on the Mount of Transfiguration, how many people do you think in that audience knew Moses personally, knew Elijah personally? But somehow, because of the way eternity is, eternity isn't time-bound or anything like that, somehow they just knew. And I, I want to tell people pastorally, you will know. And then there's the thin space that we're talking about here. Something else that's occurred to me as a pastor, and I, I don't really have a biblical text for it, and I really can't explain it other than to say it seems to happen a lot. A loved one is getting ready to pass away, and they kind of rally where they're maybe not real lucid prior, but all of a sudden they're, they're kind of their old self. And you get this graceful moment where you're having a conversation, and it's like, it's them. But the thing that often happens around that time, maybe later on in the evening, maybe that night, is a person will be sitting beside them in bed, and they'll see them open their eyes like this, and they'll see something, and they'll hold their arms out like that. And then they're asked, and sometimes they can tell you, what did you see? And they will say, I saw my mom, I saw my aunt, I saw my husband, I saw these things. Now, again, I don't have a Bible text that says this is a, this is a thing because I don't think the Bible cover, covers every experience. 
But I do believe this. Sometimes when it's necessary for us to have it, that thin space between heaven and earth kind of opens up and the veil is, is sort of pulled away and you see it. It doesn't happen to everybody all the time. Matter of fact, Pastor Early, I think a lot of people that see that have had some doubts, some misgivings, some things in their life that said, I'm scared, Lord, to go beyond the threshold. And I think it's God's way of saying, it's okay. It's going to be okay. I will take you there when the time is right. And then pastorally, I've seen people just have a peace. And I think that is so awesome. But there's one more thing that I see pastorally that bothers me. And that is when people are in that space and they haven't been reconciled to the Lord. And they haven't been reconciled to one another. Like they're waiting for a child to come back so they can say, I'm sorry. Or so that they can mend the fence and move on. And I've seen people linger for a long time just waiting. And that's why we're on this mount. Because God is on this mission of reconciling us back to him of making it so that when that moment does happen, it's just a transition into another space, but we've already been with him long enough that this isn't a problem. Because we call him our father, like Jesus looked at his father through this experience. And his father looked at him and said, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Because his purpose for coming into the earth was to make sure not just that when we die we have peace, but so that whenever that time comes where this all ends, we're in a good space with him and with each other. And that realm of the unseen is a place that actually is going to merge into the realm of the seen. We read at the end of the, of the story where heaven and earth come together in the new creation. And that's ultimately the goal. And when Jesus takes his disciples up on this mountain, he wants to see those two things happen so that a vision of the glory of God can be something locked away in their minds that they can carry with them the rest of their days because their lives will never be the same. And I don't know about you, but whenever I have something happen in my experience with the Lord, that really has his hand upon it, I lock it away, and I kind of treasure it, and I kind of ponder it. Like, that's the day that God showed up, or that's the day that God helped, or that's the day that God answered a prayer in a way that clearly had his hand handprints all over it. But I also lock away this picture, because it tells me that this is going somewhere. That the things that Moses was called to do so many, many thousands of years or hundreds and thousands of years ago were leading up to this moment. The things that Elijah was saying to the people of Israel as they were unfaithful, this is going somewhere, people. Stay faithful. The Messiah is coming. 
And even Malachi, the last known prophet in the Old Testament, who wrote the last writing, said, that day's coming, and you're going to see the glory, and it's going to change everything. And this glory is starting to be revealed in a way that changes our foot. It literally is a mountaintop experience. And if you've ever had a mountaintop experience, you know that it is something that is just it, 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 there are no words that can, that can carry the freight of what that meant to you. But while they're up on the mountain, Jesus is locking away in their minds this image of this experience so that when the road gets rough, when they forget, when they're just in the boring mundane of the everyday, they remember that image. You know, we don't really talk a lot about images, but how many of you have looked at the image behind me? I think Jack Austin told me, I may be wrong uh, in, in remembering it, because uh, I am getting older, uh, that is, it came from Italy, a monastery or something like that, and originally was a little bit larger, and it was actually the backdrop of the first church, uh, first Christian church on 2nd Street. And when they chose to build this, this, this facility, they wanted it to be preeminent. And we're a very word, Bible-centered church, but at the center of our very worship experience every week is that. And how many of you looked at that and said, I've thought about that a lot. Sometimes when my mind is just a muddle and I can't connect two thoughts together, that image pops into my head and I feel a peace. Not from the image, but what that image represents. I mean, I think of the 23rd Psalm, for starters. I think of Jesus in his identity as a shepherd. I think about the times that I've come into this sanctuary when I was here in the church alone and I, I see a person right there who's come into this building for the sole purpose of looking at that picture and praying to the Lord. And I know that in a variety of ways for most of the people that have been in and out of this church, that image is something that's helped you along the way. And I don't discount that one bit. Matter of fact, I think it's vital that we have these images that are spiritually sanctified by God in our brains alongside all the scriptures that God puts in, in there to remind us. You know, I thought about, you know, the Philippians scripture about um, giving our cares to the Lord and then um, his perfect peace, the peace of our Lord Jesus surrounds and guards our hearts and our minds and how important that's been in whatever version you've memorized it in light of the pandemic. And that's just a few. As Jesus has taken these guys up to this mountain, he's unfolding so much that they don't even have, Peter is so disoriented, he's like, let's build some tents. <laughs> you know, I'm sure after being in glory, the last thing you want to do is go camping. 
I mean, I've camped, trust me. Camped with tents, got flooded out. Camped in pop-ups, got flooded out, got ants, weathered a tornado. I don't do that anymore. I'm, I'm bound for better places like condos. Peter's just like, oh, I don't know what to say. I got to say something here. And Jesus, I'm sure, looks at him and says, you appear to be confused. And then what needed to happen, happened. Because not only were the images coupled with two main biblical characters, and the word exodus is showing up there because they're talking about his exodus, his departure. He could have just used a Greek word for departure, but he chose exodus, meaning that Jesus is going somewhere with a purpose, with a, with a goal in mind, and they don't know what that is. But he's been giving them clues all along. I am going to Jerusalem, and it's not going to be pretty, and it's not going to end well, and you're going to be even more confused now if you think you're confused, or then if you think you're confused now. I am going to be crucified and I know you don't have a category for that, but because of what is necessary for my purpose to reverse everything that happened in the fall, to reverse uh, the sin that is dominating the world, to, to dethrone the evil one who says, I'm in charge of this world, Jesus broke that curse when he died on that cross as an innocent man slash God. He knew how this thing needed to unfold. He knew that a cross was in his destiny, and he knew the reason why. But he's looking at the followers, and they're still thinking, we want to just do some good works for Jesus. We want to be good people for Jesus. And he's saying, you need to do good works for me. You need to be good people for me because people are watching you. But it runs deeper than that. You need to be changed and transformed as human beings into something that you're not. And the only way that that can happen is for me to fulfill what I've been called to do and then you to claim that for your own life. And they're just thinking about building tents. And a lot of us, when we come to faith, there's just a lot of things we don't understand, and that's okay. One thing that we can always count on is what Jesus has been doing up till now with the people that he cares about. He doesn't leave them or forsake them. He takes care of them. He corrects them. He challenges them. Sometimes he has to call them out. But underneath all that, he loves them. He loves them. And he loves us. But we don't always calibrate the significance of where he's going without a little bit of guidance and a little bit of instruction. And Luke is giving us that. And this book, as we're going through it, should be changing us in a way that this story is becoming actually our story. And I just want to look at this story for a second in terms of what we've talked about, because there's just a lot to 
ponder and meditate and think about. Because I, 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 part of me is tempted to say, I want to give you all a pen and paper, and I want you to write down five things that this image behind me says to you. And I'd be curious to know what you would say, because I'm guessing that there would be a lot of things that we would say that were the same, and I would think there would be other things that we would say that said, to me personally, this is how this plays out. And as I do that, I just imagine that the images in Scripture that are so pronounced and so defining would just continue to play that role in your life as you move from there to those places. And Jesus is looking at his disciples and he's saying, this is going to change you. And you have no idea. And I know people who have come to this church, been baptized in that baptistry, have come out, and then they just haven't come back. They've had no guidance, no instruction. They just wanted to, I don't know, they wanted to settle something and be done with it. But that's not the purpose here. The purpose is to go from there to a space where we are beginning to follow Jesus learn his word, learn what it likes to be together in community with people we like and people we don't like, and to do so in the power of the Holy Spirit in a way that makes us into the people that we're supposed to be if we're faithful to that community and to him. Not everybody gets that. But Jesus had to do that with 12 people, and he has to do that with First Christian Church. As he's doing that in your life and mine, he's instructing us with little nuggets along the way that says, this is the way. It's different than you think. Maybe different than your parents told you. It's different maybe than you heard. You know, like that thing about, will I see my loved ones in heaven? Will I know them? The word has a way of clarifying who we are. Because the evil one that God actually defeated through his son on the cross has told everybody, you human beings, you think you're made in God's image? No. You're garbage. You're nothing. You're worthless. Have fun competing with each other trying to feel valuable. Good luck. And the Bible says, not the case. You are so beloved by God that he came down into our experience to rescue us and to tell us we are his children made in his image. Jesus had a lot on his mind because it's a pretty tall order, an impossible order, unless the Holy Spirit is enabling the people after he leaves, which he did. Peter was so caught up in this moment that when he wrote his second book, he, he penned these words. He said in 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 16, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths, which we kind of used to follow, when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, speaking about this moment, I believe. For when he received honor and glory from the Father, this is my son whom I have chosen. And the voice, um, we can go back to a second. And the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. 
is like, I'm writing this letter, and that is a distant memory, but I will never forget that day, ever. And as I'm writing this letter to encourage the churches that he's trying to encourage, he's telling them, we were there. And it changed us. And there's a lot of places along the way where God can change us. I honestly think this space here is one of them. Have you ever come into this space and you're like, my mind's all cloudy and stuff? And I'm not saying that, you know, it's magic or anything. I'm saying a lot of, a lot of God things happen in this room that I just think it's so well-trodden that it, it's really kind of a thin space. I mean, I've been in my office where my mind is a fog, and I've just come in here, and I've, and I've sat down on that pew, and all of a sudden it's like, I don't know, I just feel heaven here. And I'm not superstitious. I'm not particularly Catholic in my view of that. I just think so much has happened in this space that it's just an open pathway for the Lord to move. I could be wrong. It's just my opinion. But God may be speaking to you in this space now. And if, if he is, I would say, listen, because here's my takeaways just real quickly from this. And I hope you have some as well. My takeaways from the mountain are this. One, prayer is necessary for entering into the reality of heaven. You can't do the Lord's work, which has heaven's imprint on it, without prayer. Rachel has a planning committee that they're working on. I told Rachel in our meeting, don't do anything without asking God to be engaged with it and to lead you through it. If you think we're going to meet, we're going to make some plans, and then we're going to sort of throw a prayer at the end of it, you've missed it. Because if heaven is going to be a part of what you're doing, and it's not just us being socially, illogically defined people, if heaven's going to be a part of that experience, you've got to ask God in prayer. And I say that about anything. Those images of people in their deathbed, a lot of times, sometimes I've had the opportunity to pray with them before. And I've just said, God, show yourself to them so they can be comfortable with the fact that they're going home. I don't know if I'm doing it right or not, but um, a lot of times I just learn things the hard way. Secondly, sometimes there's a thin space between here and there. Sometimes it's like the circles are here, heaven's not really part of it, but you pray the Lord's Prayer, and then all of a sudden on earth as it is in heaven starts to happen. Thirdly, listen to the voice of the Lord before you act. Listen, listen. Even Peter talked about that a little bit. Yeah? Taking swim lessons? Oh, no. Yeah, I was... Uh, following the Lord, and I wasn't paying attention because I was thinking about so many things, and the Lord took me by the shoulders, and he said, listen. Fourthly, use your spiritual imagination, spiritual imagination, to reflect on the significance of biblical images like the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, the Exodus going through the waters and having God destroy his the enemies of God's people and going to the promised land and then use them to guide you forward. I don't know if I think in pictures a lot more than words, but I don't know. Images have a way of getting in my head. And when they get there, I think, what does that mean? 
And I ask God, help me to know. And God says, read some more of your Bible, talk to some people, and uh, I'll open it up to you as time goes on. Well, that's where we're at. And my only conclusion here is if this is a place in your day where a thin space has opened up, where God has been speaking to your heart, maybe he's saying, it is time to get baptized. Not to save yourself or anything, but as an act of obedience, as Jesus is calling you into a new way of life. Maybe he's saying that it's time to just be absorbing content all the time, to feel like you're close to God. Yes, important, but now it's time to do things that show God is wanting to be close to others through you. That's important too. And then when you walk out of here, say, God, help me to act on that. May your will be done. Let's pray. Father, as we've come to this place in the storyline of Luke, and we trust that as these words are being spoken in a way that goes 2,000 years down the timeline, we pray that they would be just as fresh today in the hearts of your people, of each of us, Father, that as you've spoken to us through your word, we ask, Father, that you nudge us into a path that is of your choosing in the life that we live, in the world that we live in, in the community that we inhabit, in the relationships that we have developed. Work there, Lord. Work through our children. Work through our friends. Work through our coworkers. Help us to pray each day. Father, use me to reconcile people to you. Use me to reconcile people to each other. Use me to bring your glory as I behold your glory. Thank you, Father. Thank you for using me today. I pray that you would bless your word and everyone that's, I've, I've captured so much of their time and attention and, and hopefully it hasn't been an abuse of it. In Jesus' name, amen. I do... I do want to shift gears to our time around the Lord's table. We've talked a lot about this with the elders and with um, just the staff and what this means. In the tradition of our church, it was a very defined moment with elders on either side of the communion table. With a, a meditation by an elder that would say things that correspond with the scriptures and how they define what the Lord's Supper is about. And a lot's changed since then. And one thing that we've been wanting to recapture is to differentiate it from the sermon in such a way that this is a moment where we take the loaf and the cup and we think about that upper room that's portrayed on the, on the relief on the communion table where Jesus and the disciples met and he told them, this is my, this is my blood in this cup. It is, the, it is the cup of the new covenant. I want you to take it and drink of it and remember me. Not just an image of me, but remember who I am and why I came. 
And what I personally, meaning me, Leonard, or you, need to do now to make our peace with him, to be right with him. And when we look at that body, which is portrayed in the bread, we recapture that sense that he broke that for me. And I can't diminish that at all because it defines my life with him and with each other. So I just want to ask God to bless the taking of the loaf and the cup. And then after I pray, I just encourage you to take some time, think about what that means for you and what God's saying to you. And maybe what he's saying to people around you as you take it. Would you bow with me? Lord, we meet you in this place where a cup so simply made represents something so significant. And it is only by your grace that we comprehend what that means for us in this moment. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for calling the 12 and then calling each of us. Thank you for the blood that was shed that covers us and buys us, heals us. Thank you for body broken that says you did that because you love me. Bless the loaf and the cup, Father. May it accomplish your purposes as we, as we take it now. In Jesus' name, amen. stand with us in your own time.
Jesus, you, through your word today, helped us to see you as you really are. Holy man, but not merely because you're God. Man, but not merely because you're... God, but not merely because you're man. Man and God, but not merely because you're Messiah. Lord and Savior, you are worthy of all of our worship. It all belongs to you, and all things are yours. May we be counted among all things because of the work that you have done that we might have great joy in our Redeemer, who you have made yourself, shown yourself, and are. May all our hope for every drop of our salvation be in you and you alone. When we go looking for our salvation encouragement, may we find it in you. We'll find it nowhere else. We thank you that you've shown us yourself, made yourself available. Thank you. It's for your wonderful name we pray. Continue your work. Amen. All right, we'll see you soon. Go get your kiddos. <laughs> <laughs>